Good morning. Second. I've been uh, having a sinus drainage in my throat whenever I swallow is hurting. Anybody else have these, these issues? It, uh, it isn't fun. Um, today we're going to be in chapter 5 in Joshua. So if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles, open up your Bibles, um, we'll be in chapter 5. There's actually 24 chapters in the book, book of Joshua. And you realize it would only take you roughly less than two hours to read the whole book? Kind of interesting. The first 12 verses had a lot of battles in it. And actually, verses, or chapters 6 through 12 are where, they, where they're at. There's a, there's a list, uh, 31 kings that Israel overtook. It made me start to think about battles as I reviewed this chapter. You know, we might not face war every day, but we do face battles of life, don't we? Whether it's a with traffic, that can be a battle sometimes, yeah. Computers, Becky and my mom go, amen. <laughs> Could be uh, battling with a disease or uh, an addiction, anger, past failures, it can be hard battles. And uh, maybe even battling with family members. Some of us feels like we've been battling for years, while others we know that the battle is just right around the corner. It's there and we can see it and we know it's coming. Whether you're on the battleground or you're in preparation, there's two things we must continually do to have victory. The title of my message today is Trust and Obey. And as you guessed it, those are the two things that we must continually do. Chapter 5, Israel is just about ready to go to battle with Jericho. And next week is going to be exciting because Phil is going to be talking about that in chapter 6. I'm really looking forward to that. and I'm sure you are looking more forward to seeing his face than mine. <laughs> but long before Joshua was born, back in Genesis chapter 34, in the land of Canaan, in this land, there was a girl, her name was Dinah. She was facing a, a battle of her own. She had a couple brothers, Simeon and, and Levi, who would later deceitfully take revenge for her. Dinah's battle was with a prominent man of his city. He was so prominent, as a matter of fact, the city was named after him. See, Dinah was raped by Prince Shechem from the city of Shechem in the land of Canaan. After raping Dinah, Prince Shechem, he fell in love with her. And he said, I'll give anything to marry her. Dinah's brothers, Simeon and Levi, 
They said, well, we can't agree to that because you're not circumcised. If you and your men of your city get circumcised, then we'll agree to let our daughters marry your men. So Prince Shechem goes back to the city. He tells all the men, this is what we got to do. And days after they were circumcised, Simeon and Levi go in and kill all the men of the city. Now, I want you to hold that in your memory. Because in Joshua chapter 5, these men would have known that story. Also, I want you to know that the people of Canaan knew that Israel was on its way. In Numbers 33, 40, I think, um, it says that they knew, the king knew, he had heard that Israel was coming. So when Joshua gets this close, it's not a surprise to him. We know Joshua was Moses' servant, right? He shadowed Moses. He watched him closely. He would have probably would have learned all of his leadership skills from Moses. We know he was a military commander, that he was second in command, a general for Israel's defenses. So he would have been great at defending against an army attack but probably not so good at leading an army into battle. He had never led an attack before. At this time in Joshua, Joshua was approximately 85 years old. He would have been in great need of confidence and encouragement. Nothing gives you more confidence and encouragement than hearing from the Lord, from knowing that you are hearing from God. You are in His will. You are doing exactly what He wants you to do. Previously, we know God spoke to Moses. Moses is dead now. But now, Joshua is hearing the divine voice. So they crossed the Jordan, as we heard last week, and uh, they placed 12 stones up at Gilgal. And the reason they did that was so that everyone on earth would know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and that all Israel might fear the Lord. Throw up the map. We can see here, all the way up there in the top corner, that that's where they set up the stones. So they cross the Jordan, the blue squiggly line in the middle. They cross the Jordan, they go up, and they set those 12 stones up there. And uh, what was the reason? So that Israel might fear the Lord. So the reason was for Israel and for who else? Everybody else in the world that would know the hand of the Lord was powerful. But this put them pretty close to Josh, uh, Jericho. If you put up the, the next slide, you can see how close Gilgal is. Now, they don't actually know the exact location of Gilgal. They're approximating this is probably where it was. And they say it's approximately about 12 miles from Jericho. And this brings us to chapter 5. Um, so let's read 5. I'm so glad that I only have to read 15 verses. That's, that's a nice thing. I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. Uh, that'll be up on the screen, but you can follow along in your versions if you'd like. 
When all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings who lived along the Mediterranean coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan River so the people of Israel could cross, they lost heart and were paralyzed with fear because of them. At that time, the Lord told Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the second generation of Israelites. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the entire male population of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. Now, how this would have taken place was it wouldn't have been in the camp that they would have done this. They would have went right outside of the camp of Gilgal, and they called that place Gibeath Haraloth. That actually means hill of foreskins. That's about as enough as I need to say there. Mercy. Verse 4, Joshua had to circumcise them because all the men who were old enough to fight in battle when they left Egypt had died in the wilderness. Those who left Egypt had all been circumcised, but none of those born after the Exodus during the years in the wilderness had been circumcised. The Israelites had traveled in the wilderness for 40 years until all the men who were old enough to fight in battle when they left Egypt had died. For they had disobeyed the Lord, and the Lord vowed He would not let them enter the land He had sworn to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So Joshua circumcised their sons, those who had grown up to take their fathers' places. For they had not been circumcised on the way to the promised land. After all the males had been circumcised, they rested in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I've rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. Now, Gilgal, that actually means circle. That's the noun. The verb is to roll. So that kind of makes sense. Verse 10, while the Israelites were camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, they celebrated the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the first month. The very next day they began to eat unleavened bread and roasted grain harvested from the land. No manna appeared on the day they first ate from the crops of the land, and it was never seen again. So from that time on, the Israelites ate from the crops of Canaan. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, Are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I'm at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. Amen. Let's pray. Father, We need you. We desperately need you. We know we shouldn't fear. We sang in the song earlier, but Lord, sometimes we do. And sometimes we feel like we need you more than others, but in all actuality, we can't have life without you. We can't live without you. We need to hear from you, Lord, please. Speak to our hearts. Move us to be more like you. 
In Jesus' name, amen. This first verse kind of gives us insight into the Amorite and Canaanite people. Just as Joshua and the Israelites were beginning to be excited, they, they, they were encouraged. The Amorite and Canaanite kings, they were beginning to feel some discouragement, fear, and worry. Why? Well, Numbers 33:40. remember, they heard that they're on, Israel's on the way, but if you remember back in Joshua chapter 2, it tells us that they heard about the men that were spying out the land. So they knew, hey, you know, they're even closer. They heard about the Red Sea. They, they, they knew that, wow, you know, this miracle of the Red Sea happened. And, and then they heard about Sihon and Og. Now, these were the two kings on the other side of the Jordan that Israel came in and completely and totally wiped out. They heard about that. However, even though they heard these reports... And they knew, well, they're pretty close. You know, they're on the east side of the Jordan. They probably thought, well, the Jordan's at flood stage. It's at its highest level. And it's going to be a while before the water recedes and they'll be able to cross. So, eh, we got time to, to prepare for battle. Then all of a sudden, they hear the Jordan River stops flowing, and miraculously dries up. They, they probably felt, we're defeated, and the war hasn't even begun. We haven't even started fighting. We're, we're done. So they lacked fear, or they lacked courage, and they, and they began to fear. But the Israelites, these guys, they're, they're feeling unstoppable, you know? They witnessed it. They witnessed the Jordan River stop flowing with their eyes. They saw it. They saw the ground dry up. They walked across with their own legs. They were there. This is is amazing. And if, If there was ever a time to fight, if there is ever a time to go to war, this is the time to do it. They're real close now. They're in Gilgal. 12 miles from their enemy, what do we say? We strike when the iron's hot, right? Let's get it going. And I can just picture this scene. Try to picture it with me. Joshua says, okay, guys, calls the leaders of the armies. He says, hey, I got a word from the Lord. I want you to gather the troops. So the troops all gather, and they're, they're all sitting in line shoulder to shoulder, I can just picture the guys elbowing each other. How do you think God's going to do this? <laughs> Fire from heaven. Nah, tornado. No, oh, he's going to swallow up, open the earth up and swallow. Joshua says, calm down, calm down. I heard from the Lord and he wants me to circumcise all of you. <laughs> no army commander in the world would put this strategy as, as a strategy for war, this, this, is, this is completely and totally opposite. Now remember, Simeon and Levi, what they did to Prince Shechem and the men of the city, Shechem. Whoa, now we know 
what these men might be thinking. We're all going to be killed. This places every single person, puts them in a very vulnerable position. I'm sure somebody, maybe way back in the ranks, in the back, might have yelled out, shouldn't have we did that on the other side of the Jordan where we were safe? I mean, <laughs> that makes sense. They, you know, actually they should have been circumcised eight days after they were born, remember? I'm not sure if it was, if it's out of fear or maybe exhaustion, but I did not want to speak today. Not because of the content. I, I know that. But right now, I've been going through a battle of my own. And uh, it's been going on for some time. And it's taken all my energy. It's, uh, it's consumed my thoughts. I uh, just feel physically and emotionally drained. In the past couple of weeks, I, I didn't want to speak at all. And uh, I feel... Phil knew, uh, you know, because I obviously was communicating this with Phil. My mind is just not in Joshua. My mind is on my own battle that I've been going through. And then when I think about some of your battles that you're going through that, that I know of, I think, oh, man, my mind doesn't even compare. <laughs> I just wanted to throw up my hands and, and, and give up and just just ignore it just to I just wanted to walk away just turn around go the opposite direction <laughs> I'm tired of battling and and you want to know something honest I fear the outcome Phil gave me a way out but what I really needed was a way through. And I think God is teaching me something. The, like these men, I, I had to ask, do I trust God? These men didn't want to be put in a vulnerable situation. The fear of what could happen most certainly would be on their minds. I mean, but fear was overcome. You know what the most frequent used command in the Bible is? The number one most frequently used command in the Bible from God to us is for us not to fear. According to the New American Standard, the phrase, fear not, appears approximately 140 times. And that's just that phrase. In addition to that, the phrase, do not fear, it appears approximately 100 more times. And in addition to that, the phrase, do not be afraid, appears an additional 50 times. 
Do you think God wants us to know something? Don't be afraid. But why? People in authority, they don't like me because I always ask why. I, I can remember my teachers at school and saying, you know, quit asking why. And that would cause me to, to ask, well, why do you want me to quit asking why? <laughs> According to Dr. Tim Jennings, he's a Christian psychiatrist, he says, fear is the root of selfishness. He says, and I quote, fear hinders the prefrontal cortex from making rational decisions, causing us to behave and act selfishly. Think about that. The first thing you do when you fear is you immediately start to think of yourself. How do I protect me? No wonder God doesn't want us to fear. It causes us to look at ourselves, focused on our own ability, instead of being focused on Him and His ability. But, you know, I, the question still is in the back of my brain saying, you know, the other side of the Jordan, that would have been a good place to be circumcised. They were safe. Why did God eat until they were 12 miles from their enemy? That's a good question. And it's not in Scripture. But I think if we take the whole totality of the circumstances, we can pull from it. And we can see that they're learning to trust God. God had put them in a position that they would have to trust Him. A circumcision 12 miles from Jericho, that, that would place every single person at risk. Every man, every woman, every child at risk. Because if the fighting men can't protect the women and children, someone could come in and kill the men, then the women, and then the children. So it's not just the fighting men that have to learn this. It's everyone has to learn to trust God to protect them from the enemy. But the risks, oh, the risks, they're extremely high. So how do you obey God when everything inside of you is shouting and screaming, no, don't, this doesn't make sense, don't do it. Jesus said in John 14, verses 15 through 17, If you love me, obey my commandments. And I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate, an encourager, a comforter, a counselor, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. And that is an important word for us today. The Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. Why is that so important? Because you have to know the truth about God to trust God in order to obey God. 
Let me say that again. You have to know the truth about God to trust God in order to obey God. You see, if you believe a lie about God, then you aren't going to trust Him. Therefore, you won't obey Him. For instance, if you believe that God is against you, if you believe that God is looking down on you, just waiting for you to make a mistake, just with His thumb, just ready to go, "Uh uh-huh, if you think He's the cause of your pain, you ain't going to trust Him. So how will you obey Him? Why would you obey Him if He's like that? If Joshua believed God wouldn't protect him, then he would not have circumcised them. Do we? There's a story that about an evangelist back in the 50s, Monroe Parker. He, uh, he goes to the, buy a watermelon, a little watermelon stand, and he goes to this watermelon stand, and how much for a watermelon? The guy says, That'll be a dollar, one dollar and ten cents. And he says, oh, okay. So he reaches in his pocket and he only has a dollar. He says, I only got a dollar. And the guy says, well, I'll, I'll trust you for it. He says, oh, thank you. So he picks up the watermelon and he starts to walk away. And the guy says, hey, 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 whoa, 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 where are you going? He says, well, I'm going to go eat my watermelon. So well, you didn't give me the dollar. Well, you said you were going to trust me for it. Well, yeah, but I, I meant the 10 cents. He says, well, you weren't going to trust me at all. You're going to take a 10-cent gamble on my integrity. <laughs> and you know, if, if we're honest, we would admit we do that to God. We do the same thing. We say we trust God, and, and we do with the little things. And, uh, but when it has something of value, something important, we say, whoa, 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 God, whoa, where are you going? And maybe I'm alone. Maybe I shouldn't have said we. Maybe I should have said I, because this is where I have been struggling with the most. I've been struggling with trusting God with the important things in my life. I'm having a hard time. But he's not done with me. And he's not done with you either. Thank God. Amen? Circumcision at Gilgal, that that places them in a a vulnerable position. And uh, they would have to trust God to protect them. Being vulnerable is difficult, isn't it? We don't like it, do we? As a matter of fact, we build huge Jericho walls to protect ourselves, to protect ourselves from keeping others knowing who we really are and what we've really done, our failures, our faults, our flaws, our problems. But did you know that being vulnerable is actually a courageous act? It's a courageous act. It takes an extreme amount of courage 
to be in a vulnerable position. And when you do, and you trust God for the outcome, the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. There's several benefits to being vulnerable. And I had asked them to be put in your notes because we don't like being vulnerable. We run from it. And we need to know why it's important. And so I listed some of them. One is you're free to heal. You're free to heal. There's no more hiding your failures, your faults, your flaws, your problems. And when you're not hiding your problem, then you're authentic. You're not pretending like somebody that you're not. And when you're not hiding or pretending, you become fearless. You're not worrying, what if? What if they find this out? Or what if they know this? And when you're not hiding, pretending, or wondering, then you can begin to have intimacy in your relationships. There's no more building walls of protection anymore. When you're not hiding, pretending, wondering, or protecting yourself, then you see you have purpose. That God has a purpose. That there is a greater purpose. And when you see God's greater purpose, then you're more willing to sacrifice. And when you're not hiding and you're not pretending and you're not wondering and you're not protecting yourself and you're and you're 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 not feeling worthless because of no purpose then you're free to love you're free to love god with your whole heart mind soul and strength and you're free to love other people the same way being vulnerable put Israel in a position where they had to trust God. And you know, that's exactly what God wants from us. He wants us to trust Him wholeheartedly with our lives. Sure, sure, there's, there's risks. But what is more important? Obedience? Or the risk? That's a good question. You know, as I think about this and think about being vulnerable and it being courageous, no wonder God said, be strong and courageous. They were about to be in a vulnerable position. So one, we must trust God, especially in the vulnerable times. And two, we must obey God's word. Excuse me. These men, they were obedient. They went through. They, they got circumcised. They trusted in the abilities of God, not, in, not on their own abilities. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the entire male population. But in that, even in that verse, we can see another step of obedience, flint knives. You say, well, flint knives, why, why was that obedience? Well, they could have used a knife, a sword. I mean, they had iron at that time. But, but God said, flint. Why? See, there I go, asking those questions. 
Well, when you take flint, which probably it probably was obsidian, I heard, but uh, it, when you break it, the edges become razor sharp, and no bacteria can grow on the inside of the rock. Therefore, you have a razor sharp object and the most sterile thing to be used at that time. God's wisdom. And we think our ways are better than his ways sometimes. Another step of obedience was that Passover that they celebrated. Remember, 40 years was spent in the wilderness. They were supposed to circumcise eight days after birth. They did not. They were supposed to, on a yearly basis, celebrate the Passover. They did not. However, they remembered back in Exodus 12.25, Moses was speaking about the Passover. He said, when you enter the land the Lord has promised to give you, you will continue to observe this ceremony. And they remembered this. They remembered it, and they were obedient. Remembering seems to be pretty important, doesn't it? What were we talking about? Finally, the um, final few verses from 13 to 15 is what scholars call a Christophany. That's a very good-smelling, expensive word that means Jesus showed up in the Old Testament. Um, But I want you to notice in verse 13, it says, Joshua was near Jericho. Your version might say, by Jericho. So we know that Joshua must have been walking around the perimeter of Jericho, looking at the walls, probably looking for a crack or a crevice or maybe a weakness. He might have even thought, how am I going to do this? What are we going to do to get over those walls? How are we going to take these walls and be able to get inside? But remember, these walls, these walls would have been like almost 20 feet high with watchtowers almost 30 feet high. So these were huge, magnificent walls. Surely, there must have been some kind of, maybe just a little bit of discouragement as he was looking at these walls. I mean, come on, these things are enormous. Then he sees this guy in the distance. He doesn't know it's Jesus. He doesn't know that. He sees this guy in the distance, and he's got a sword in his hand. He could have decided, you know what? I think I'll take the long way around him. Go way out and around him. Or he could have just said, you know what? Threw up his hands. I'm going back. Going back to camp. Turn around go the other direction. He was 85 years old. Hey, we wouldn't have thought any less of him, right? But remember, Joshua was hearing the divine voice. So I think he had a little bit of confidence in his step. And that's probably why he walks right up to this guy with a sword in his hand. It's interesting, though, if you think about this, Jesus places himself in a position to speak with Joshua. Isn't that interesting? 
Jesus places himself in a position to speak with Joshua. The Word of God does not say, while Joshua was in prayer and worship, the commander of the Lord's army appeared. It doesn't say that, does it? He was just going about his daily business. He was just going about the day. You know, Jesus does this for you and I, too. Remember, he says, I'll ask the Father and he'll give you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Sometimes we think, man, if only I could see Jesus face to face, I would be a much better Christian. But how can that be when Jesus said in John 16, 7, when he's talking to the disciples, he says, in fact, it's best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate, the Holy Spirit won't come. So it is actually better. Now, Jesus is face to face with these disciples. He's communing with them. He's eating with them. He's talking with them. And Jesus says, it's better that I go and give you the Holy Spirit. What do you have living inside of you? The Holy Spirit. So Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit is inside of you is better than me standing face to face with you right now. Question is, do we ignore him? Or do we take time to listen? Joshua walks right up to him. Are you a friend or foe? Are you with me or against me? Are you for us? Are you against us? Are you my enemy? Are you on my team? And then I love Jesus' reply. He says, neither. I'm in charge. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? He's telling, he's telling Joshua, I'm, I'm the leader. I'm the one that's fighting for you. Jesus could have shown up prior to the circumcision. This would have been a morale booster for the men, right? <laughs> hey, uh, the commander of the Lord's army showed up. Yes, let's go through with it. But he didn't. He comes at just the right time and shows us exactly what we need to know and what is truly important, reality himself. There is nothing more important than himself. And Joshua does what I think we all would do when face-to-face -face with our heavenly commander. He falls face down in reverence, <laughs> position of pure humility, full submission, Reminds me of that scary dog that runs up to you. You kind of back away, but then the dog rolls over on its back. Full submission. Full submission. If Joshua had any arrogant or prideful thoughts about his own ability, what he was going to do, they were gone in an instant. In an instant, they were gone. He falls down. You're in control. You're in control. I'm here to serve you. You see, it's, it's not the other way around. We are not the masters of the Almighty telling him, Lord, this needs done. You need to take this and, and, and do this. We got to have this done. This is very important, Lord. You got to do this and that and but when we don't trust him, that's what happens. We get it flipped around. 
after the resurrection of Jesus, the disciples were hanging out. And this was a time when, when you know, Peter had, had denied Jesus. He's, he's feeling a little down. He says, you know what? I'm going fishing. And the other guys say, okay, you know, we'll, we'll go too. And uh, that night, they, they fished all night, Scripture says, and, and they didn't catch anything. And then John 21, verses 4 through 6 say, Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. Jesus calls out to them. He called out to them, Friends, have you caught any fish? Now, don't miss this miracle that is about to take place. It's the greatest miracle in the Bible. No! Fishermen, tell them the truth. <laughs> so Jesus says, throw your net on the right side. You'll find some there. They could have yelled back, you're crazy. We've been fishing all night. But they didn't. When they listened to what Jesus said and they, they were obedient, it says they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. They obeyed and had victory. If we want victory, we must trust and obey our heavenly commander. Let's pray. Father, at some point, in our lives, we all have trust issues. We need you to help us see, help us see you clearly. Especially during the times, Lord, that we want to take control. Help us to surrender our lives to you. And Father, the, the times of our disobedience, Lord, we just repent. We, we completely turn away from the Lord and we turn towards you. You are the way. You are the truth and the life. You are continually faithful. Help us, Father, to give ourselves and love you and trust you wholeheartedly and be obedient to your word. Thank you. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name.